Mark chapter 15, verses 25 to 32. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabbathana, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Welcome to our Good Friday Reflection. Four Sundays ago I stood up in church and I planned to take as my theme of the Sundays leading up to Easter in 2020 the idea of ransom. And this verse that I have been repeating these last number of weeks when Jesus says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I've been asking, how would the, those hearers have understood what Jesus has been talking about? And uh, we looked at Hosea, and we looked at Ruth, and we looked at Jeremiah. Different stories of different ways in which the ransom idea is there in the background and basically the idea somebody is in a situation we call it a bondage situation but it's some kind of situation where they can't get themselves out of it and they need somebody to come and set them free the person who sets them free is that is the redeemer and how they set them free is they pay some kind of ransom uh, and that's the means that they are set free so there's a bondage situation, there's the Redeemer, there's the Ransom. Three aspects to it. And freedom is always the result of a Redeemer's work. And so these great themes of Jesus as our Ransom payer, as our Redeemer, and, and the freedom that comes through what he has done for us are very much there in the New Testament. But the question is, how does the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago, how does it actually redeem us? How does it... How is it a ransom? If he pays his life as a ransom, how is his life a ransom? And so as we come to Good Friday, some of these ways of understanding it become a little bit clearer. I'm sure there are times in your life when somebody has really wronged you and you've been deeply hurt. What has happened? 
What happens is because of that wrong, there is now something between you and that person who has wronged you. And there's a barrier now in your relationship and that barrier cannot be wished away or ignored. It's a kind of a debt there between us. And there are only two ways that you can deal with the barrier, with the debt, in order for the, it to be resolved. You can make them pay for it. And so you can hurt them, you can exclude them, you can find ways of making them suffer. And as you see them experiencing it, you sense that that debt is being paid. In a sense, you're getting your own back. And that makes you feel a wee bit better. And then, therefore, the barrier is not so, so strong and so heavy upon you. The Bible says, though, that if that is the way you make people pay for the barriers or the hurt that you, has been caused between you, it'll turn you into a hard person and it will make you, it'll dehumanize you in a sense. The other way is that you pay for it and so you forgive them. And forgiveness means that you don't want to hurt them anymore. Um, if you want to wreck their reputation, you don't. If you want to think hurtful thoughts about what they have done, you don't because you have chosen to forgive them. And in time you find that your hostility will subside because you have been paying the debt yourself. Someone must always pay the debt. Either they pay it or you pay it. Forgiveness does not just happen. A debt must be paid for the relationship barrier to be removed. We know this from everyday life. Think about a man who is guilty of some horrible crime and he's up in court. And he says to the judge, I'm really sorry for what I did. The judge says, well, if you're really sorry, you can go free. If that happened, there would be outrage. Because if he doesn't pay for his horrible crime, society will pay. To let him go free means the victim's lives will be devalued. They'll have to pay for it. Society will pay for it because he will just keep on doing it. There's no deterrence. So either he pays for his crime or we pay for it. There is no such thing as a really serious wrong that can just be forgiven without some kind of payment. Somebody always has to pay for it. Someone has to experience the pain. Someone has to bear the price. And so even if we with our twisted morality sense this, how much more will the righteous God sense this? There are serious wrongs that we have done against God and our, our neighbours who are made in his image. And as, as a result, there is a debt, there is a barrier in our relationships with God and with each other. With God, God has the right to call for that debt, that barrier, to be paid by us. Let's go back to Passover night. The Israelites had been in slavery to the Egyptians for over 200 years. God sends Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. God says, I'm going to redeem them out of the slavery that they have been under. I've heard their cries and I'm going to give them freedom. So Moses comes and he pronounces a plague on Egypt to encourage, to, to make the Pharaoh realise that he's dealing with a great and mighty God. 
fact, there are 10 plagues. And in, in some way, each plague challenged some Egyptian god who the Egyptians believed was ruler over that domain, whether it was the Nile, whether it was animal life or whatever. Each time the Pharaoh, who believed himself to be a god, did not humble himself and let God's people free. And so then we come to this 10th plague. It is the most devastating and it is the most disturbing of all. The destroying angel would go throughout the land and call in the life of every firstborn son. But God had said to Moses, Tell the people not to go out of their houses all night. Because the destroying angel is not just coming for the Egyptians. He's coming for everybody. Everyone is guilty, whether they are believers in me or not. And their only hope is a lamb. Paint the doorposts of every house with a lamb that has been sacrificed within it. And the angel will pass over those houses where he sees the blood. But if you go out that night, you will meet judgment on your own. You're, you need to stay in under the blood that will protect you. So where is the hope in the Passover story? In every single home in Egypt that night, there was either great wailing because there was a dead eldest son or there was a dead lamb. It was either one or the other. The lamb got what the son was due. And every Hebrew home and some Israelite homes, every firstborn son looked at the table and saw the lamb and thought, the only reason I am not dead as the eldest son is because that lamb is. There is a debt. We've not been living as we should. The eldest son can pay the price for the family because someone has to pay it. Or rather than the eldest son paying the debt, someone in solidarity with him pays it for him. A lamb. In Leviticus 5 verses 14, we have the sacrificial regulations for guilt offerings. If someone violates God's commandments, he has to pay for it because someone has to pay. But if he brings a perfect ram from his flock, then its sacrifice by the priest will make forgiveness for that person. Someone has to pay for the forgiveness for wrongs. But when that worshipper walks away from the temple that day, he knows that the ram is dead so that he can now live. Jesus begins his ministry. And as John the Baptist sees him coming down into the Jordan, he looks up and he says under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And behold doesn't just mean look. Behold means think, realise, take it in. Behold, think, realise, there is the Lamb of God. There is the Passover Lamb. There is the guilt offering lamb. There is the lamb who takes our sins. There is the one who pays for our debts that we owe to God. In Revelation at the end of the Bible, the lamb is on the throne and he is ruling this universe. He is the resurrected lamb. But that is the other side of Good Friday. 
We stop here tonight. We behold the Lamb of God who takes away the debts of the world. Someone has to pay for forgiveness to come. You can pay for it yourself if you want, but how do you pay for unglorifying this great God, for de-godding the one true God and making idols out of other things and making them your gods in your life? For worshipping created things instead of the one who created us for himself. You can try to start paying for those wrongs yourself. Or you can accept that Jesus pays what we could never fully repay. Jesus pays our debts of our sins of our wrongs. Jesus pays our ransom price to set us free from our guilt. And so that we can sing, the Lord is my salvation. My debt is paid and the victory is won. Tonight we look at the cross. We behold the Lamb of God who by his death pays for the sins of the world. So that we can enjoy the freedom of being the child of God. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. Let us pray. O Lord our God, this is Good Friday. The day we remember how our Lord Jesus, who forsook no one, was forsaken by the closest of his friends. How our Lord Jesus, who committed no crime, was sentenced to a criminal's death. On this day we remember how centuries ago he could have saved his life, but he refused to betray the purpose for which he had been born. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world would be saved through him. King of glory, you suffered on the cross and gave your life as a ransom for many, for all who would look to you as their ransom payer, as their redeemer, as the one who can set them free. Lord, we worship you tonight for the outpouring of your love to everyone who receives Jesus by faith. Help us, Lord, to walk with faith in the crucified Saviour, who is our Redeemer and Lord. We pray in his name. Amen.